Welcome to the All People's Church Sunday podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. For more messages and resources, please visit allpeoples.com or download our free All People's Church app. morning. How you doing? Anybody enjoy a Thanksgiving life group this week? A few of us did. I know we hosted one at my house when I think of Thanksgiving. I think of food, faith, family, football, and food comas. So I hope you're okay after eating all that food. And I know this is a great holiday season for many of us. This is the time of year where more than anything, I think people are thinking about relationships. I'm Kendall, I'm our executive pastor here, and I look forward to meeting you at the end of the service. But at, at, at this time of year, I find more than anything, people are thinking about relationships. I, I just had the chance to travel this week, and uh, while I was traveling, I encountered a lot of relationships. I met a nephew who had just been born, a little baby, for the first time in my family. I hung out with different friends from high school that I'd known for 20 or so years. I uh, stayed with my college roommate for a few days because we're involved in the same ministry. Um, and one of the things that happened was I called a buddy of mine who had just gotten back from eight years and living in India. And he was in Dallas, and I needed a ride anyway to drive the 100 miles to Waco, Texas. And so I thought he might want to hang out. And so I called him, and we started catching up. And I said, hey, do you want to kind of hang out for a while, catch up, and maybe also drive this, this hour and a half together so we can get some good time together? And, you know, we both need to be in that town anyway. And he said, sure, absolutely, it'll be great. So we kind of talked about logistics, and he hung up. This guy's name is Will. And Will, in high school, he was a little more of an eccentric guy. Uh, he knows I'm going to share this story. But uh, anyway, he was the kind of guy that during the NBA uh, playoffs, he would grow out his hair the whole way until his team won or lost, you know, just kind of a quirky guy. And in high school, so this is, I, I graduated from high school in 2001, so it was a little while ago. He had a beater car in high school. It was this Toyota. It had scratches all over it. He had two large dogs, so there's dog hair all over the inside of it. It smelled. Air conditioning didn't work at Texas. It was not a car you wanted to ride in, so we would always ride in other people's cars. Uh, and he called me back a few minutes later after us making these plans to drive this hour and a half together. He says, only one problem. We're going to be in the Corolla. Is that okay? <laughs> and I thought, sure, why not? The more things change, the more they stay the same, right, with, with, with old friends. Um, but uh, that's the good thing about old friends. They don't have to hide themselves. They're just who they are, Corolla and all. So, and if you drive a Corolla, they're very reliable cars. So good, good decision. Anyway, um, uh, but relationships are on people's minds this time of year. And what we find in our society today as we talk about this series, Relational Reformation, is we're, in a, we're, we're having a relational crisis in our country. P people are going through a famine of friendship. I came across this book this week um, that kind of put some language to this, one of these sociological books that studies trends in our society. 
And uh, the book is called This Land of Strangers by Robert Hall. Okay, and it talked about this relational crisis we're going through in our nation today. So here's some stats I got out of this book. Um, First of all, over the last 20 years, the average number of confidants, so close personal friends, a person has decreased from three to two. So everybody basically lost one good friend in the last 20 years on average. The percentage of people living alone has jumped 59% since 1970. So if you live alone, that's great, that's your choice, but that's just a societal trend that's interesting. Overall participation in team sports continues to decline each year as children prefer more individual pursuits. The rise in spending on pets has a direct correlation with the decrease of spending on social activities to meet others. Don't even get me started on that. Um, and uh, this, was, this was probably the most sobering statistic or thought that was in this book. It was a police officer in Longmont, Colorado. And they interviewed different first responders, people in hospitals, psychologists, different people. How is this relational crisis affecting your world? And this is what a police officer said in Colorado. He said, for 80% of the calls we receive, so emergency calls that, you know, go through the dispatcher, 80% of the calls we receive, people don't need a police officer. They just need a neighbor. We find ourselves today in a relational crisis, in a famine of friendship. I think we all feel it in different ways, and yet we know there is nothing that God wants to use more in our life to transform us and help us accomplish our destiny than relationships. And so we find ourselves needing a relational reformation. Uh, In 2013, the New York Times published a, a study, and this was the title of the article, why going to church is good for you. <laughs> okay, are you ready to find out why going to church is good for you? Three out of four doctors agree, all right? So this is a quote from the article. One of the most striking scientific discoveries about religion in recent years is that going to church weekly is good for you. Religious attendance boosts the immune system, decreases blood pressure, and it may add as much as two or three years to a person's life. So see you at church next week. (laughs) Going to church is good for you. Relationships are good for you. That's the point. You know, uh, they even found uh, in dieting, if they can put people in a small group of 8 to 12 people, they are much more likely to see transformation. So get in a life group. You might lose some weight. All right. Why don't you pray with me as we open the word of God this morning? Father, we thank you that you're a relational God, that you have a relationship with us through Jesus, and that you want us to have healthy relationships. I pray, Holy Spirit, that this morning that you would teach us. We're going to cover a lot of territory, God, so I pray that every single person would leave with a direct word from you, an application for their life. God, that you would lead us and teach us, and you would make our relationships healthy in this church. In Jesus' name, amen. 1 Samuel 18, this will be our key passage this morning. We're going to go through several passages, but we have a key verse in 1 Samuel 18, verse 14, I want to look at just to begin. It's talking about King David in this relational reformation series. We've been looking at the life of David. This is a verse about King David. Let's look at this verse now. It says this about David. In everything he did, he had great success because the Lord was with him. In everything he did, he had great success because the Lord was with him. How would you like that to be said about you? And everything you did, you had great success, not because of your own cleverness or gifting, but because God was with you. Amen? Yeah, God wants us to be people of great success. And this morning, I want to speak to you from the subject, three keys to relational success. 
three keys to relational success. Let's start here in 1 Samuel chapter 18 as we look at our first key to relational success. 1 Samuel 18, the context here is we're going to learn a little bit about David's friendship with a man named Jonathan. Jonathan was David's close friend and confidant. God brought them together in order for them both to accomplish their purpose. And we're going to see how that relationship began here in 1 Samuel 18. Let's look together. After David had finished talking with Saul, Jonathan became one in spirit with David, and he loved him as himself. From that day, Saul kept David with him and did not let him return home to his family. And Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as himself. Jonathan took off his robe he was wearing and gave it to David, along with his tunic and even his sword, his bow, and his belt. This is talking about the beginning of this friendship. Let's look at it in the message version. I think it'll, it'll kind of clarify it for us, more modern words. Jonathan was deeply impressed with David. An immediate bond was forged between them. He became totally committed to David. From that point on, he would be David's number one advocate and friend. Interesting. You know, I think of relationships sometimes as a magnet. Sometimes you meet people and the wrong sides of the magnet are facing each other, and it's kind of like, okay, they're a great person, but we're probably not going to be that close. We're very different. Are you with me? I know it's never happened to you. Um, Other people, though, you find them, and it's that immediate bond that that talks about in this Jonathan and David friendship. You you find yourself in this connection, but what I want to say is that's the beginning of a relationship, not the end of it. The first key to being successful in relationships is being intentional with friendship. Be intentional with friendship. Say intentional. So here's a few ways we see that Jonathan and David were intentional about this friendship because nothing just happens in our society. We're all too busy. We have to be intentional about relationships. So the first thing we see here is we need to find friends with the same mission. We need to find friends with the same mission. It says this, that Jonathan and David were one in spirit. God had given them a similar spirit, a similar vision, a similar goal. They were one in spirit. They were working towards the same thing, the protection of God's people, fighting the Philistines, serving the kings. There's many people in life we're going to enjoy spending time with. We'll have acquaintances, neighbors we enjoy seeing here and there you know, work friends, we have different people we see out and about. But the people that are going to be heart and soul friends with you are going to be those that have the same mission in life, that are running after Jesus with all his heart and believing for him to transform the world around them, the same mission in life. That's why we find at this church some of the best friendships are formed when people go on mission with God together. I can just tell you from my own life, whether it's been a mission trip or some activity where we're believing for God to move or we're praying for different things to happen, there's a deep bond that's forged in that time when you're going the same direction with somebody, believing for the same things, fighting side by side in battle. Great friendships are formed when you have the same mission as your friends. Maybe to talk on the inverse, um, I, I remember a relationship in my life where my life vision changed and it, it added a lot of discord and disunity in the relationship. Maybe you've experienced this as well. Uh, earlier in the service, we sang that song, I'm desperate for you, and that's all I'm going to sing because it would make you desperate. But um, that song has a very special meaning in my life. When I was 18 years old in my dorm room, uh, my freshman year of college, I was listening to that song and God met with me in a powerful way. He invaded that room and spoke to me some things about my life. And for me, that was really the moment. Of course, I had known God. I had known about Jesus. But that was the moment where I drew the line in the sand and said, God, I'm all yours. 
And what I find when someone meets Jesus in their life is that Jesus doesn't let them say the same. Amen? <laughs> he starts to change you. He starts to change your heart. And then as he changes your heart, he starts to change your lifestyle. He starts to change your behavior, pointing you towards holy living, pointing you towards a transformed life. And then as you start to change, you get a passion for other people, and you realize, you know what? Other people might need to change. And, and I see this nation where people are broken, or I see this city in our country where there's a great need for transformation, and God starts to give you a vision to transform other lives around you. Well, that's what happened to me. I started to change internally, and God began to give me a vision for change. But as I grew up with this very close friend, and we had spent a lot of time together, had similar interests and gifts, he had a very different experience when he was 18, 19, and 20, and what his core value in life became was stability about keeping things from changing. And it just started to add tension in our friendship and our relationship. It was very painful for me. As I could tell, we were starting to go different ways. And you know, it, it kind of culminated in a moment where we sat down together and I began to tell about my life. And my wife and I, we'd been dating for about three years at this point. And I shared, hey, Shelly and I, we're, I think I'm going to propose to her soon. We're going to get married. I wanted to include you in that discussion. And it was a very painful discussion where he, he, he kind of threw him off, and, and he actually didn't think that that was a, a good idea, and I had already submitted this to wise, holy counsel that had spoken into my life. I was just kind of more sharing my heart with him, and, and, he, and he, the change in our relationship and the change that was going to cause in his world made it very painful for him, and it put a rift in our relationship. It was hard for us to move forward, to be one in spirit, to have the same vision because our lives are going a different direction. Mine was going to transform my life and hopefully the lives of others, and he had a value for stability, keeping things to be the same. You know, sometimes when, when you go through transitional periods in life, you need a friend that will point you towards God, not towards the past. 1 Samuel 23, 16 says this, Saul's son Jonathan went to David and helped him find strength in God. Those are the kind of friends that you want to be praying for in life. The friends that are in your same season of life, that have the same mission, and are going to help you find strength in God. Amen? Yeah, God wants to bring people into your life that you're one in spirit with, that you can have a similar vision and hope in in life. Okay, so intentional friendships. This is our first key. Here's another thought on that. Friendship requires initiative. Friendship requires initiative. It's interesting how Jonathan initiates a friendship with David. It talks about it here. He gives him things. He's, he gives him a tunic and a robe, and the, he starts serving him, and they get involved in each other's life in various ways. Friendship requires initiative. Nothing just happens. My dad, uh, growing up, had very uh, interesting kind of Confucius-style sayings. He's kind of known for these one-linders that are kind of legendary. But if you ask him about the Magna Carta, he'll actually talk for about an hour. So I just want to warn you about that. Um, but he had this one saying that always stuck with me. He said, son, there are party goers and party throwers. <laughs> son, there are party goers and party throwers. And, you know, the point he was making in that, there are people in life that wait for other people to come to them so they can have relationships. Or there are people that take initiative and reach out to other people and build relationships in their life. Hello, are you with me? I was so proud of one of our um, young leaders who had some friends coming to him. And that we're kind of saying, hey, there's no community for people in our age group in the church. And, uh, you know, they were kind of frustrated about it and kind of complaining a little bit to him. And I was so proud of how he responded. He didn't need to meet with a pastor to start a new ministry. 
He didn't need to start a Facebook group and try to get everyone on it, but he just planned something and invited people to come. I know this is a new concept, so let me help you out. So he got some people together, and he said, we're going to play volleyball at the beach every week. They started playing volleyball, and they built a friendship. They took initiative. Are you with me? Okay. The Gen Xers in the front row are like totally laughing. But those of us that are so used to social interactions online, this can be a little stretching. Okay, so friendship requires initiative. There are party goers and party throwers. Somebody tweet that. Great friendships have great loyalty. Great friendships have great loyalty. Later um, in David and Jonathan's friendship, a lot of challenge comes into the friendship. And we'll talk about that in a minute, but King Saul, Jonathan's father, actually turns on David. He tries to kill David. He, run, he runs after David. It's a very challenging relationship. And what we see here is interesting. In 1 Samuel 19, David stands up for Jonathan. David, excuse me, Jonathan stands up for David. Jonathan was a loyal friend. 1 Samuel 19, verse 4. Jonathan spoke well of David to Saul, his father, and said to him, let not the king do wrong to his servant David. He has not wronged you, and what he has done has benefited you greatly. David stands up to Saul, as Jonathan stands up to Saul, conserving David. Jonathan was loyal to David. He encouraged him. He spoke well of him behind his back. Maybe you've experienced this cultural phenomena uh, before that people call ghosting. Okay, this isn't something people do at Halloween. Let me explain it to you. What ghosting is, is when you're in a relationship with someone and something offensive happens, and so one party decides to unilaterally end the relationship. So they stop returning phone calls, they stop returning texts, they stop returning emails, and they just choose to end the relationship without any conflict res resolution. And I find here in Southern California, people don't like conflict too much, so this is actually a very common way that people end relationships and move on. I know it doesn't apply to anybody in here, but those other people. But I don't want any more ghosting going on in our community. How about some holy ghosting, okay? How about, how about some people getting together, having healthy conflict, talking it through, praying for each other, and submitting their friendships and relationships to the Lord? Friendships require loyalty. Proverbs 17, 17 says this, a friend loves sometimes. Nope. A friend loves at all times. I looked up the original language on that, and all means all, okay? So when God brings people into your life, and you have the same vision, and you're running together, he's calling you to be loyal to them. And guess what? You're going to see their imperfections most, more than most people, and that's okay, because that's your opportunity to love. But then I find it interesting. It says a friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for a time of adversity, or some translations even say a, born is, a brother is born from adversity. And I can just tell you it's the hard times in relationships where a true brotherhood or sisterhood will form. There's something irreplaceable about standing hand in hand in someone, believing for God to do something in a difficult time where a bond is formed that the enemy cannot take away. Amen? Yeah, intentional friendships. That's our first key to success in relationships, to relational success. Here's our second key. Responding well to mistreatment. Responding well to mistreatment. You know, we talk about relational success. What we're not talking about is relational ease. We're not talking about relational perfection. You know, the Bible says David, he was successful in all he did because God was with him. 
But if you look at David's life, sometimes it was anything but successful. He did not have an easy upbringing, an easy family life. Robert talked about this last week. Okay, he was attacked by Saul, his spiritual mentor. He was at war frequently in his life. He made some pretty big mistakes. But David's relational success was defined because God was with him, and he allowed his relationships to transform his heart. Your relational success is more about your response to your relationships than your relationships themselves. There's so many things in life that we can't control what happened to us, but we can control our response. Relational success is responding well to mistreatment. Henry Nowen, the great spiritual director, he says this, community is the place where the person you least want to live with always lives. (laughs) Funny quote, but the point is, is that God's going to be using challenging relationships to transform your life. He's going to be working in them. He's going to be working in you. So let's look at this relationship between David and Saul, because this is a very challenging relationship. David's response to Saul is really one of the greatest character studies of all scripture. First Samuel 19. Whatever mission Saul sent him on, David was so successful that Saul gave him a high rank in the army. This pleased all the troops and Saul's officers as well. When the men were returning home after David had killed the Philistine, the woman came out from all the towns of Israel to meet King Saul with singing and dancing. Joyful songs and timbrels and lyres. We need some timbrels on stage, by the way. I don't know what those are, but they sound cool. As they danced, they sang, Saul has slain his thousands and David his tens of thousands. Saul was very angry. This refrain displeased him greatly. They have credited David with tens of thousands, he thought, but for me, only thousands. What more can he get but the kingdom? And from that time on, Saul kept a close eye on David. The next day, an evil spirit from God came forcefully on Saul. He was prophesying in his house while David was playing the lyre, as he easily did. Saul had a spear in his hand, and he hurled it, saying to himself, I'll pin David to the wall. But David eluded him twice. Okay, this is a very challenging relationship. David, faithful, hardworking, a worshiper, going to fight the king's battles for him. Saul, who should be thankful, jealous, angry, fearful, turns on David. David responds, and he must respond to mistreatment. But before I show you David's response, there's one thing I want to point out. is It says at the end of here, at verse 16, David eluded him twice. So one principle of mistreatment is if you're, if you're in a physically abusive relationship, you, it's okay to remove yourself from that situation. Um, 1 Samuel 19 and 20, David meets with Jonathan. And he tries to figure this out. And he and Jonathan are talking. And Jonathan actually gives him wise counsel to leave this relationship because he is being physically abused. In 1 Samuel 20, verse 1, David fled. In 1 Samuel 21, David fled. It says it again. Uh, Some scholars say that David fled for about 17 years. Relationships always get better overnight. But if you're someone that's in a physically abusive, dangerous situation, I want to encourage you, get wise counsel and and get yourself safe, okay? I want to say that just because of all the contingencies of modern life, but but now I want to look at David's heart response, okay? David's heart response to mistreatment, because I think that's the lesson for many of us here, is David's heart response. Let's look at this story. We're going to get a story in 1 Samuel 24, and the context here is David is on the run from Saul. He's, he's moved himself from the situation, but Saul is still running after him. So let's see how David responds. So Saul took 3,000 able young men. So it's not just David anymore. It's 3,000 men chasing David from all Israel and set out to look for David and his men near the crag of the wild goats. 
Sounds like a band or a restaurant. I don't know. The crag of the wild goats. Anyway, he came to the sheep pens along the way. A cave was there, and Saul went in to relieve himself. David and his men were far back in the caves. This is a very human story, okay? David is hiding. He's in the crag of wild goats. He's in the back of the cave, and Saul is looking for him. He goes in this cave to relieve himself to use the bathroom. And David, he's here watching, and his men think, this is your chance. This is your chance to strike Saul back. Verse 4, the men said, this is the day the Lord spoke of when he said to you, I will give your enemy into your hands for you to deal with as you wish. Then David crept up unnoticed and cut off a corner of Saul's robe. Afterward, David was conscious stricken for having cut off a corner of his robe. He said to his men, the Lord forbid that I do such a thing to my master, the Lord's anointed, or lay my hand on him, for he is the anointed of the Lord. With these words, David sharply rebuked his men and did not allow them to attack Saul. And Saul left the cave and went his way. The way David responds to mistreatment is he chooses honor. David responds to mistreatment by choosing honor. Honor. It means to put value upon. So what's the value that David saw on Saul's life? He saw that he was the Lord's anointed. He saw that God had chosen him to be the king, and it wasn't his place to remove God's blessing from someone's life. This is why he was conscience-stricken. So here's a principle of relationships I want you to walk away with this morning. Mistreatment is God's training school. Mistreatment is God's training school. God doesn't cause mistreatment, but oftentimes it comes into your life, and God will use it to shape you and develop you into the leader and to the man or woman of character that he wants you to be. Amen? Moses, he was mistreated as a baby. He was almost killed. God used it to put him in, in contact with Pharaoh and eventually to save the people of Israel. Joseph was mistreated by his brothers. He was put in the palace. Okay? Different ones. David, mistreated by his father. Had to go out and fight lions and bears. This prepared him for battle with the Goliath. Jesus, mistreated by everybody and saved us all. But even Jesus, it says, Hebrews 5.8, learned obedience through what he suffered. Mistreatment is God's training school. God will use mistreatment to train your heart response. You can't control how other people treat you. You can control your response, and you can be a man or woman of honor. Amen? God wants you to develop us in this area. You know, David was so honorable of Saul as the Lord's anointed. Later in his life, just to give you a brief preview of a different story, there's a distant relative of Saul that's still living after all of Saul's house has died. And David gives this distant relative a seat of honor at the king's table. David was a man of honor. He put value on what God valued on. And let me tell you something about honor. Honor activates the power of God's justice. When you honor someone, when you honor someone, it gets you out of the way and lets the Holy Spirit begin to work on them. Let's look here in verse 8. Then David went out of the cave and called out to Saul, my lord the king. When Saul looked behind them, David bowed down and prostrated himself with his face to the ground. See, my father, look at this piece of robe in my hand. I have cut off the corner of your robe but did not kill you. See that there is nothing in my hand to indicate that I am guilty of wrongdoing or rebellion. I have not wronged you. But you are hunting me down to take my life. May the Lord judge between you and me. And may the Lord avenge the wrongs you have done to me. But my hand will not touch you. As the old saying goes, from evildoers come evil deeds. So my hand will not touch you. You know, this is what David says. He says, may the Lord judge between you and me. Honor activates the power 
of God's justice. When you choose to honor people in your life that you choose, that you feel mistreated by, it allows you to step out of the way and allows the Lord begin to work on them. This, this story I, I wasn't planning on sharing, but I shared it in the first service. You know, uh, when, when I started to follow Jesus in this moment, you know, in, in, in my freshman year of college, God met with me powerfully. It brought a lot of tension in a lot of my relationships, specifically my relationship with my family of origin and my parents. They knew me as a certain kind of person. They had certain kind of plans for my life. I thought I was going to do those things too. And so when I started to follow Jesus and God began to change me, it brought a lot of tension in our relationship. And so my first response, you know, people either fight, flee, or freeze. Have you heard this before? So I fight, okay? So my first response was to try to persuade them to my way of life. This kind of culminated at a Christmas meal where I flipped a table over. And, um, uh, you know, that was, uh, let's see, uh, I was... I was 19, so I guess that was about 12 years ago. Robert is holding me accountable. I haven't flipped the table over it since then. But um, we had a lot of intense arguments. It was a challenging relationship. It was, I'm being funny, it was very broken. And through the years, I learned how to honor. I, I remember when the atmosphere kind of shifted. We were at a birthday party for um, a relative of mine who had been in drugs and had been suicidal and had mental illness. And in front of everybody at the party... Rather than shrinking back and kind of letting the party take its course, I stepped in and I started to encourage him prophetically in front of the family. And something shifted in that moment as I chose to honor someone who had actually deeply wounded me. And I started to see the Lord at work after that moment as we started to communicate better and to bless and to pray for and to include. I mean, we had to obey God, right? Acts 5 says, you must obey God rather than man. So there's sometimes in life where you just have to make unpopular decisions, but you can honor people in the process. And so we began to honor, we began to bless, we began to communicate, and slowly but surely, God began to, to work in our family. And of course, they had their own decisions to make as well, but it, it kind of culminated a few years ago when my dad came to World Mandate West and just met God so powerfully, flew all the way across the country to be there. I got to baptize my mom a few months later. Here at this church, she flew in for a baptism bash. It was so fun. And I could just see God at work in their life in fresh ways. That's what happens when you honor. It activates the power of God's justice, and it allows you to get out of the way for the Holy Spirit to come and transform the people in your life. It might not be more intercession that's going to transform the people in your life. It might be you honoring them. Yeah, it's just as I was preparing for this message, I saw someone with a prodigal child, and I saw you praying for them and praying for them and praying for them. What I felt the Lord was saying is actually, just step out of the way. Encourage them, and I will intercede on their behalf. That's the God we serve. Honor activates God's justice. Three keys to relational success. success. Attentional friendships, responding well to mistreatment. Here's the last key. Find your strength in God. Find your strength in God. Can I get an amen? The band's going to come out in a minute. We're going to have some time to pray here at the end of this message. As they do that, though, I want to share another story from David's life. You see, relationships are one of the most precious things that God gives us. But the interesting thing is that if your relationship with God is off, all of your other relationships are going to be dysfunctional. So you have to find, got a strong yap over there, so you have to find your strength in God so that your relationships can be healthy. There's a quick story from David's life. He's off fighting another battle. He's off fighting the Amalekites. And he faces a major disappointment. 
1 Samuel 30, he, he arrives at his camp called Ziklag. This is what he sees. When David and his men reached Ziklag, they found it destroyed by fire and their wives and sons and daughters taken captive. So David and his men wept aloud until they had no strength left to weep. I don't know if you've ever cried like that. He had no strength left to weep. David had no strength in himself. He had no strength in his relationships. His friends had turned on him. But verse 6 of 1 Samuel 30 says this, David found strength in the Lord his God. David found strength in the Lord his God. Relationships are not perfect. Your relationships are never going to be perfect. But they can be one of the biggest blessings in your life if you find your strength in God and allow him to transform you so you can have transformed relationships. Amen. Everybody goes through disappointing relational seasons. And uh, a few years ago, I went through one. I went through a season that was very disappointing. Uh, several friendships ended uh, in kind of a painful way. Uh, there were some other people in life that just really let me down. And uh, cyclically, what we do as leaders is we get away to hear God and pray over our lives. And so this particular trip, actually, Stephen and I, we went out to the beach and he walked one way and I walked the other way. And we just were praying and seeking God about our lives. And as I was walking on the beach and praying and honestly feeling sorry for myself, God reminded me something he'd spoke to me a year beforehand. And I opened th through my journal and I saw it right there. It said, I have called you to relational success. And I thought, wow, God, don't feel very successful. Don't think I'm really doing good on that. And I just began to process some of the pain and disappointment that I'd been through. And as I was doing that, I felt like the Lord highlighted just some rocks that were on the beach. It was a rocky beach and the tide was going in and out. And I saw the tide go in and I saw it cover some rocks and I saw the tide go out. And what I noticed was some rocks were glistening with the seawater on them and other rocks were dry. And the Lord used a familiar quote to me. He just spoke to me in my heart. And he said, every relationship you have that's not glistening with hope is under the influence of a lie. Every relationship you have that's not glistening with hope is under the influence of a lie. And he began just to take me through my relationships, through my different disappointments. He began to show me in certain areas where I was wrong and I needed to repent. It, repent. He showed me other areas where, where maybe I'd been wronged and I needed to forgive and bless. He showed me other things that were just a natural consequence, something I just needed to let go. He showed me other things where, where I, I needed just to come to him and be healed and have him speak. And he began to go through my different relationships that I was just praying about and struggling with and show me these different things, encourage me and strengthen me. And at the end of this time, it was emotional. God was dealing with me as so I was walking on the beach, hoping no one was staring at me. And I felt like God speak to me. Just this simple phrase. He said, I know you have hope in me, but I am restoring your hope in people. You know, for many of us this morning, this is what I believe that Jesus wants to do. You know, if you're part of this church, we know you love God. We know you love Jesus. His name's up here. We worship him. But sometimes in life, we go through challenging seasons, and we get disappointed in people, and we lose our hope in people. We lose our hope that God can bring the right people into our life. 
to support us and help us and give us grace. We lose our hope in the people that God has already brought into our life, that they can still be transformed, that God still has plans for them. And this is a this is a big plan of the enemy because when you lose your hope in people, you lose your hope that God can work through other people and he blocks off your destiny. Your destiny is tied to your hope in other people. I know you have hope in me, but I'm restoring your hope in people. So that's what I want to end this morning with. I want to give us a few moments to invite God to restore our hope in people. Would you stand up with me while we pray? You know, just as we stand here, what I'm going to ask the Lord to do, everyone can just focus on God and close their eyes. We have a few minutes to pray, so you don't need to leave. I want you to ask the Lord, just God, will you highlight some relationships in my life where I need your hope? Just begin to let God take you there. And it shouldn't take very long. A lot of us have challenging relationships. Just let God bring those thoughts, those feelings to the surface. Just give him a chance to work in your heart. relationships. We need restoration. Bring them to mind right now. Now, Lord, I pray with your spirit of truth, the Holy Spirit, I pray that you would flood through this room and begin to speak truth where there's been lies. What lies have we been believing about these relationships? Lord, bring them up right now. Lord, give us clear thoughts, maybe a phrase we thought or something someone said to us. Lord, pinpoint these lies right now. Show us where the, the devil is eating our lunch, Lord. Speak truth now, Lord. Speak truth in the place of those lies, God. Let your spirit of truth come. How do you feel about us? How do you feel about this person? Where has our confidence been robbed because of this relationship? You can just open your hands if God's ministering to you in some way. Now, Lord, just like I saw on the beach that day where that wave came over the rocks, I asked for a wave of hope to flood over this room right now. A wave of hope from the Holy Spirit. A wave of hope healing, God. Just a wave of hope right now. Let it flood into our spiritual eyes, God, giving your perspective on our relationships, giving your perspective on ourselves, giving your perspective on our spouses, our children. This is issue of prodigal children again, Lord. Just your perspective on our children, Lord, when we've lost hope in them. Your perspective on parents, Lord. Your perspective on coworkers. 
neighbors and friends, Lord. Show us your perspective right now. Let that hope flood. Let that hope wave come into our hearts right now. Begin to clean out those negative emotions. Lord, begin to clean out that disappointment. Begin to clean out that condemnation, God. Begin to clean out that despair right now, God. Let the wave of hope crash into our hearts, even now, Father, in the name of Jesus. And just in the midst of this place, we silence the voice of the enemy in Jesus' name. I rebuke every spirit of condemnation in this place right now in the name of Jesus. I rebuke every spirit of control that would cause us to manipulate our relationships. I rebuke that spirit. I command it to leave in Jesus' name. Every spirit of rejection that sets us up for failure in our relationships. I rebuke that in the name of Jesus and I release faith and acceptance and hope in this place. Father, in Jesus' name, thank you that you are a God of hope and your wave of hope is hitting our hearts now in the name of Jesus. Now, just as every person is focusing on God, just, there's all kinds of a million things going on all over the room, so nobody's looking around, but there's some people this morning that your primary hope in life has yet to be established. You've yet to trust in Jesus for your salvation. You've yet to say yes in, to Jesus and meet him in a personal way. And if that's you, everybody's praying, but I just want you to repeat this prayer after me. You can say, Jesus, I give you my life. I wanna follow you. Forgive me for my sins. Thank you, you died on the cross for him. Thank you, you rose from the dead. Thank you, you're saving me and sending me to heaven. It's in your name I pray, amen. Prayer team, why don't you come on up? And the call to prayer this morning is for those that need an impartation of hope in their relationships. Robert, do you have anything you want to say to close? Uh, so prayer team, come on up. And we only have a few minutes. So if this applies to you, this was a word from God for you this morning. I want to challenge you just to boldly come on down and get prayer for hope in your relationships.